Our gracious Heavenly Father, oh Lord, what a, what a tremendous, tremendous privilege we have to open up your holy word, inspired by you, God-breathed, that you use men to pen down the exact words that you desired for us to be able to have in our hands. What a, what a marvelous God you are, a majestic God you are, a God who is good and loving that we might be able to know you through your word. And I pray that that's what we might do this morning and that we might know something about even your mission, that we might be people who walk in obedience to that which you have instructed us to live by here on this earth as we await the return of King Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn them to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And we are going to be jumping around a little bit this morning. Acts chapter 1. At times, I would just ask you to just jot down some references so you can meditate upon them later on, okay? But Acts chapter 1, and the title of the morning's message is A Disciple-Making Church. A Disciple-Making Church. I love what Pastor Carnes did last Sunday, and I heard his message uh, just challenging us in 2017 to be a people who uh, resolve to be peacemakers, beginning in our marriages. That was a very necessary exhortation for us in our relationships, as well as in our marriages as well. And um, we do that, we charge ourselves and one another to these types of things at the beginning of the year, because New Year's really provides a good opportunity for self-evaluation, doesn't it? For looking back and seeing how we did in particular areas of our lives, as well as for just uh, planning and having foresight into the next year so that we might be deliberate and purposeful in all that we do. And so I really want to follow that theme of New Year's resolutions and set this before you this morning. I want to challenge us, each of us, and as a church, to resolve in 2017 to be a disciple making church, a disciple-making church. Over the break, I've been thinking a lot, meditating a lot, reflecting a lot, and praying a lot before the Lord, as well as my, with my wife. And you know, I become so concerned for myself personally, for our family, as well as for you as a church, each of you, and for you as families. I become so concerned as, as a fellow brother in Christ, as, a, as your pastor, because we live in a fast-paced, busy, social media-saturated culture where the, where the name of the game is speed, isn't it? Efficiency. Where the name of the game is breath rather than depth in ministry, even in churches. We're in the midst of a culture like that. It's very easy for us to lose sight of, of the main thing. To become distracted with, with other things that are important and, and valuable. But they're secondary and peripheral at the end of the day. With things that may be important, but not the most essential things and the most necessary things. I become so concerned for myself, beloved, and for you. If you're like me and you live in this society, you wish you had more time, don't you? You wish that things would slow down. I made the comment to my wife the other day, I wish I could just pause time so that I can spend time reading all the things that I want to read. So that I can spend time checking in with all the people that I want to check in with. So that I can spend time with my family even more. All of us desire that, but the reality of it is, is we only have a certain amount of time and we all get the same amount of time and we have to be good stewards of that which God has given us, right? In 2017, I long to be a man who delights in God and strives to know God all the more. That should be at the top of every single one of your goal lists, if you will. To delight and to know God all the more in 2017. That's where it all begins. That's where it all flows from, beloved. Amen? But then, flowing from that intimate relationship with Christ, from that communion with Christ, 
We need to resolve to do what Christ has said to do. To walk in obedience to that which Jesus has commanded us to do. And that, in short, is making disciples. Making disciples. And so my aim this morning is really to answer some questions for us that I hope will will propel us and launch us into 2017 to be all the more a disciple-making church, not only corporately, but listen to me closely, each of you, including myself, that we would be disciple-making people. Because it's going to be easy for you to sit under this message this morning and for you to say, well, all of those things or most of those things that you're talking about, Hernandez, again, are things that we're doing as a church. But then if we were to survey your life, and none of us are the Holy Spirit... But if we were to do that, if we were to survey your life as an individual, personally, you will find very little disciple-making happening. So I want you to take this message personally. In the sanctified sense of what that means, right? That you will apply it to yourself personally. Are you a disciple-maker personally? And we're going to talk about what that means. And so the first question I simply want to answer is this. What is the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? And the easy answer, of course, we just read Matthew 28, didn't we, just a few minutes ago, is that the the answer is that the church exists to make disciples, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ by making disciples. What does ministry come down to for any church, beloved? It comes down to making disciples. We read that in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And then teaching them all that I've commanded you to observe it, to obey me. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the great commission. But for many churches, it's become the great omission. They're not doing that basic work to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ by making disciples. And even here in Acts chapter 1, the text you are in, we find the great commission again restated. And even couched and framed again. Verse 8, but you will receive power, says the Lord Jesus to his apostles, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. There it is. Witnesses testify concerning someone, that that person and their work. You shall be my witness, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. This text is, in a, in a healthy way, has been haunting me. And for this reason, that none of us are called to be perfect on this earth, beloved. We will all fall short. We will all struggle. We will all have vulnerabilities and frailties. And we'll fall short of everything that God has as far as His will for our lives. We know that. But I want to make sure that I look at this text, Acts chapter 1, and remember that this is what is most dear to the heart of my Savior. That I would be concerned with making disciples. Upon Jesus' ascension, these were His parting words to His disciples. And and by extension and application to his church, that we would be his witnesses. And yet I wonder how many of us reflect upon the great commission of your Savior. If you are a professing believer this morning, if you are a Christian this morning, how often do you focus and reflect deeply upon the heart of Jesus that others would come to know him through the proclamation of the gospel and bow the knee to the King and you long to see a greater audience in heaven that worships the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world? How many of us long for that as we look at a text like this to apply it to our lives? This is the heart of Christ revealed to his apostles and by extension to his church, all who would believe in him, that we would make disciples. 
And not only that, but understand his authority in chapter 1, right? This is the, the, the risen and soon in chapter 1 ascended, exalted Christ. The one who has all authority, who says, who says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. I have all authority. And so when he speaks in chapter 1, beloved, and he says, you shall be my witnesses. This is not optional. This is not Jesus giving you, believer, personally, a suggestion. This is not Kempis Hernandez's philosophy of doing ministry for Calvary Bible Church. This is not the elders as a team's philosophy of doing ministry at Calvary Bible Church. This is not just another way of doing church, and we call it making disciples. It's not the latest fad or the latest Christian movement. To make disciples is a command to be obeyed, given by the exalted Christ, and it is to be followed. It is to be followed, beloved. In fact, a Christian is a follower of Christ. A Christian is to be a disciple-making disciple. Think about that. You are called as a Christian to be a disciple-making disciple. In other words, taking what you know and passing it on to others, proclaiming Christ, building others up. We're going to talk about that. A disciple is a learner or a follower. You first, yourself, following Christ, but then asking others and calling others to follow you as you follow Christ. We're disciple-making disciples. I liken this to, to the fact that all of us as believers are part of a, of a track meet. And you are a part of a relay team. Right? You're a part of a relay team. Spiritually speaking. And you have a baton that has been given to you. Very deliberately, with the utmost care, you have been given a message, a content, a way of life that people have set before you as an example of Christian conduct. That is the baton that you carry in your life. And you are called to run your lap and deliver that baton to the next person as well before the Lord takes you home. You're a part of this relay team, beloved. We are disciple-making disciples. So the scriptures are, and others that we're going to look at show us that the church does not create her own mission. The church merely follows the mission of her husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the church does. You know, earlier this year, we, CBC launched a, a new website, as you know. And if you go to the website, this is what you're going to read, as well as if you, in the foyer, you grab one of our programs in the front, or you grab one of these little inserts for your Bible or for your book or whatever. And we put this together. Calvary Bible Church's mission statement is this. Calvary Bible Church exists to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark it. We exist to magnify and lift up and make much of and worship Jesus Christ first and foremost. We exist to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, but then put some, some skin and some meat to this. How do we do it? By continuing Christ's mission on earth of building his church by making disciples. Notice, we don't create our own mission. We continue the mission of Jesus on earth of building his church. And we do so by making disciples something that he himself perfectly modeled, right? He perfectly modeled it. And what do we want to see in these disciples, including ourselves, whose singular passion and pursuit is to know, love, and serve Christ, making other disciples who will do the same. Notice, passionate pursuers of knowing and loving and serving Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Then you pass on that passion and that pursuit to others so that others will do the same as well. And Christ is exalted. Christ is exalted. That's why we're here, beloved. Nothing innovative in what we wrote. 
nothing whatsoever. We're simply saying that Jesus's mission is what we continue on this earth. The orders have been given. Direction has been set by Christ. The course has been charted. Our distinctives in the back of this little insert that we have here support that particular mission as we emphasize those biblical priorities we will be more deliberate in accomplishing and fulfilling our mission of making disciples beloved so what is the mission of the church it is to make disciples to make disciples now having simply answered that question which i'm sure a hundred percent of you in here knew it right knew it what is the what is the the significance of this. The second question I want to answer is, is, what does making disciples campus even mean? What does it consist of? What does it involve? What is, what is involved in making disciples? Everyone talking about making disciples, disciple making, discipleship, and nobody defines it for us. What does this involve here? Well, to answer this, turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. We've seen this text before, but it's important for us as we launch this new year and as we talk about this important issue that we look at this text again. And as, I, as we look at the, the, this verse here and others, I want to unpack what discipleship involves by developing this here, okay, this definition. Making disciples involves exalting Christ by speaking the word of Christ to others so that we become like Christ in the power of the spirit of Christ. Here it is again. Making disciples involves exalting Christ by speaking the word of Christ to others so that we become like Christ in the power of the spirit of Christ. And we're going to unpack that and what that means and its intricacies all the more. But Colossians 1.28, notice In making disciples, there is this initial evangelistic component or step, if you will. You know this. But notice what he says in verse 28. Paul says, here's what the core of our ministry, Paul's ministry and the ministry of the apostles consists of. He says, we proclaim Christ from the context. We proclaim him who is Christ from the context. Making disciples on a very basic level begins, beloved, and involves simply sharing Christ with someone. With the hope that they might come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, right? Sharing Christ. It's amazing how simple that is. And yet how many of us don't do it? To share with someone your faith so that they would turn from their sins and trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. What does that mean? Well, to, for them to embrace Jesus as, as Savior means that you're proclaiming a message to them about the fact that they need to be delivered and rescued from the wrath of God for their sins. And the only one who qualified as a sacrifice on the cross, who took upon his Father's wrath for your sin and for my sin, is the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the God-man, right? blameless, perfect in his life and in his death. People need to be rescued from their sins, but more importantly, from the wrath of God for their sins and to be forgiven of their sins, that they might be reconciled to God, their creator, and live for him. What about that they profess Jesus as Lord? What does that mean? Well, that implies that as we preach the gospel, we want to see people confess Jesus as Lord. That they would surrender their desire and pursuit for self-rule, self-worship, self-idolatry. And that instead they would bow the knee to King Jesus as their Lord. That they may realize that Jesus calls the shots in their life now. That life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, consists of following His Word, of obeying His Word, of living for Jesus, of trusting Him with all of your life, and fighting and struggling to make sure that even in the midst of your trials and your suffering, you're trusting in Jesus to help you persevere and endure and grow into conformity to Him. We want to see people confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? 
But as I said, beloved, many of us are not doing even the simple task of sharing the message. Shame on us. Shame on me. That in 2016, we didn't seize upon divine appointments to share the gospel with people around us. That came in amongst us. That live in our neighborhoods. That are in our workplaces. Shame on us. That we didn't share the gospel with unbelieving family members. Close and distant family members. Shame on us, beloved. And shame on Campus Hernandez as well. See, evangelism, sharing your faith, is not just for the, for the gifted person. Well, you know, there are people who are evangelistically gifted, Hernandez. You've got to understand. I mean, we have an evangelism team here at Calvary Bible Church. That's their deal, to go out there and share the gospel with people. Uh-uh. No way. If you call yourself a Christian, you are a disciple-making disciple. And at the very basic initial level or step, you ought to be sharing your faith with others, telling others about Jesus. It's not for the evangelistically gifted. Well, you know, I, I let my life speak for itself. You know, it's about the testimony and the power of my life, brother. Come on. It's not just about sharing the message. You know what? I get you. Jesus said, Let your life so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Yes, we ought to, to live our lives before the unbelievers so that they may see the transforming power of the gospel. Yes. But listen, we still have to share the message, right? We have to tell them about the good news and tell them about their desperate predicament and their, their, their reality that they cannot measure up to a perfect, infinitely majestic and glorious God, that they need a Savior, that they need to be rescued and delivered from their sins, and that the only hope is Jesus Christ, to trust in Jesus. We have to speak the truth, speak the gospel, drop the bomb, as our preachers have told us for many years, right? Drop the bomb of the gospel so that people would come to know Christ and the power of the Spirit. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we have to be ready to give people a reason for the hope that is in us so they watch our lives and we are able to answer for them why we live with such hope, beloved. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How will they hear without a what? A what? A preacher or a teacher or a sharer of the truth. A believer who shares the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, beloved. Have you shared your faith? Making disciples, in other words, begins at that very basic level with a passion for the lost. A desire to see people bow the knee to King Jesus. And you are willing to go outside of your comfort zone in whatever context to share Jesus Christ, beloved. That's where it begins. We need to be speaking the gospel, beloved, at the very basic, basic level. But then, what if somebody comes to know Christ, as you did at some point? What happened to you then? Were you left isolated? Were you left independent of a local church? No. We have such a, a small view of ecclesiology, don't we? Of the doctrine of the church. The church are the, are the people of God. Scripture refers to the church as, as the body of Christ. This living, vibrant organism with Jesus as the head of the church who is the authority and the source of life for the church, for the body of Christ. When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, you are a part of the church, a part of the people of God. And you are called not only to be part of the universal church, but to be identifying yourself with a particular uh, local body of believers. To assimilate into a church. And what happens in the church? Growth and maturity happens in the church. Believers are developed, right? Right? Christians are developed and grown and matured under the headship of Jesus Christ. So there's this ongoing edificational component in disciple making. 
There's the initial evangelistic step or component. There's this ongoing edificational component. Edifying means to build up, to mature, to grow. There's this ongoing edificational component. And we need to unpack this a bit. We need to unpack what this means. What is you being a disciple maker who is devoted to, to edifying your fellow brothers and sisters consist of? What does that mean? If that is part of disciple making, that I am to be building others up, what does that mean for me? What does that look like, Kempis? Well, first of all, it consists of life-on-life relationships, doesn't it? Of pursuing relationships. Where do we get that from? Well, we have a relational triune God who has eternally existed in fellowship as Father, Son, and Spirit. And He's created relational human beings who are wired for relationship, who are wired for intimacy, who are wired to get to know one another, to connect with other people, right? In discipleship, it's no different, beloved. We have to be pursuing life-on-life relationships. We see this first and foremost in the Gospels, don't we? As far as the New Testament goes. We see it in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? Zap people from a mile away? Speak to them from ten miles away? Life-giving words? No. He spent time with people, didn't he? Spent time with him. He invited a few, even a closer few, to, to be with him. To invest himself into, into, into them. They heard him speak. They watched him in the midst of difficult situations. They watched him live his life. In other words, beloved, there was a life-on-life relationship. Yes, they learned the truth, and we're going to talk about that right now. Truth from him, which, personified, which was personified in Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. They heard the truth, yes, and they saw him, the truth. But there was a lifestyle, a way of life that they learned from him because they spent time with him. They were with him. We see this, don't we? In the life of our Lord Jesus. And you know what? By the time we get to the epistles, his followers, beginning with the apostles, followed that same pattern as well of relationship of pursuit, of living life before one another. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want you to see this. We can go to many texts. But here is the ministry of Paul and his, and his uh, fellow servants and the type of ministry they had amongst the Thessalonians. He's talked about in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 how the word of the Lord that they imparted to them has sounded forth from them all over the place. There was truth that was imparted to these Thessalonian believers. But I want you to know something else. Not only was there truth, but there was a life lived. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7. Here's Paul's ministry while amongst the Thessalonians. But we prove to be gentle among you. Notice, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond of an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, there's the content, the truth of the gospel, but notice our own what? Also our own lives. Because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You can't miss it. There was an impartation from Paul and the apostles of the truth of the gospel to these believers, but there was a life passed on to them as well, a way of life. They watched them. They related to these believers. In Acts chapter 20, verses 31 through 35, Paul talks as he's bidding farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He says to them in that context that he did not cease from declaring to them the whole counsel of God, But he also talks about the fact that he lived amongst them. He cried with them. He ministered amongst these Ephesian leaders and elders. 
There was a life imparted to them. See, we miss that in discipleship so often, don't we? The relational component, and yet it's all over the Scripture. All over. Third John, verse 4. The Apostle John calls his spiritual um, uh, ch- calls, calls believers his spiritual children. I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. The apostles use relational terminology to communicate intimacy, life-on-life connection between human beings who are real. So when you think about this disciple-making, this edificational component, you pursuing people to invest yourself into them, it must be done, beloved, relationally. It must be done relationally. Showing people that you care and you're concerned for them. But also, it must be truth-based. Truth-based, not only relational, but truth-based, or if you want to put it this way, truth-regulated. Otherwise, we just become a, a glorified social club. When there's no truth, no word of Christ, isn't that what he says in Colossians 1.28? We proclaim Christ, right? There's a body of, of truth, if you will. And it is all summed up in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in Acts 20, I did not declare to you, I did not, did not seize Ephesian elders and Ephesian believers to declare to you the whole counsel of God. There was truth imparted. There is truth imparted, beloved, in disciple making. Otherwise, it's just a glorified self, uh, a social club. Second Timothy chapter 3. Turn there with me. In our disciple making, the word of God must always be central, right? There was, must be truth imparted in the context of relationship. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God. Literally, God breathed out, expired, if you will. And profitable, useful, or beneficial is the sense there, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And here's the purpose, verse 17. So that the man or woman of God may be adequate, well-fitted is the idea, complete, equipped for every good work. God wants you proficient for every good work. And the means by which that is affected in your life as you submit to the word of God is his word. His word. So disciple making must be truth based. It is relational. But there is always the centrality of the word of God. And in chapter 4, because of the, the, the significance of the inspired word of the verses that we just read, Paul says... Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, healthy teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Beloved, human beings are wired to turn away from things that convict. That's why we need to preach the word, share the word. In everything that we do in disciple making, the word of God must be central. Everything as far as your disciple making pursuits must be truth regulated, if you will. Everything must be. It is truth based. The Spirit of God in Acts. Do a survey of the book of Acts. The Word of God is constantly growing. Chapter uh, 6, verse 7 of Acts. The Word of God continued to increase. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. The Word of God increased and multiplied. Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 49. The Word of God was spreading throughout the whole region. Acts 19, verses 18 through 20. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. You think that Luke, giving us those progress reports in the book of Acts, was trying to make a point? What was the point? 
The word of God must continue to go forth in the lives of people, affecting change and repentance and faith in the lives of people, sanctification and holiness and Christ-likeness. The word of God must continue to go forth. That goes for public preaching, smaller pulpits around the church, and for our one-on-one times, beloved. The Word of God must be central. In Acts, the Spirit appears about 56 different times, and it is the Spirit in Acts that takes the Word to the heart of people like you and I and convicts us of our sin. He takes the word, that's, the word is the mechanism, the instrument by which he convicts sinners of their own sin and their need for Christ and for growth. I always think of the book of Acts as the Trinitarian mission unfolded. What do I mean by that? Read the book of Acts, and here's the main point. Ready? God the Father is glorified when His Son is exalted in the power of the Spirit by means of His Word. God the Father is glorified when His Son is exalted, made much of, magnified in the power of the Spirit by means of the Word of God. Beautiful unfolding of the Trinitarian mission, if you will. So discipleship involves, beloved, deliberately spending time together. Formally or informally, speaking the truth in love to one another. And that happens formally, from the pulpit. In many ways, I am fleshing out an aspect of discipleship here in the pulpit this morning, am I not? Spreading the word far and wide for all of us to hear together. This is a form of discipleship. There's truth being spoken. There's a life being imparted to some extent or another. And even in my own ministry to you, in the elders' ministry amongst you. Discipleship can be formal that way. From the pulpit, from fellowship groups, small groups, one-on-one studies that you may be having with people. It takes formal shape that way. But discipleship also happens informally, doesn't it? Informally. Just everyday talk. You ladies spending time together in the context of one another's homes. Over a cup of tea. Over some coffee. Cooking together. Baking together. Doing laundry together. Some of you single women asking to come, come into an older lady's home and serving them with their kids and in the process getting to know that older godly woman that you can glean from. It happens informally that way. Men working together with our hands. Going on errands together for our families. Talking while we serve. You know, it's okay to talk with one another while we serve. Right? One of the beauties of serving. I mean, that happens regularly in my office or around the office of the church building throughout the week. I'm able to talk to individuals and as we're doing work, there's a lot of truth speaking and a lot of discipleship happening. Just this week, two pastors uh, or one elder, and one, two, two elders speaking to me about, about just areas of my life that I need to grow in. There's some discipleship happening in our office during the week, beloved. You think that I'm above that? I'm being discipled by other elders and godly men as well. You need the same thing too. Happens informally that way. You know what else? It happens informally as we suffer together, right? As we pray and as we struggle and as we seek God's face in the boldy situation right now, what do you think is happening also amongst us? Disciple making is happening. We're learning to pray together, to love each other, to meet needs, to care for one another, to point each other to the truths of the promises of God and His character revealed in His Word, and the need to trust in God in the midst of the difficulties that the boldies are going through, and they're not just the only ones going through it. We are there with them. Amen? Or with the Townsends, or with others of you who have lost loved ones. There is disciple-making happening, truth-speaking in the context of relationships. And what is the goal here is the, the last thing here in disciple making. What is the goal? Look at Colossians 1.28. It says that we may present every man or woman complete in Christ. There's a goal here. It's not just to hang out, though hanging out is great. There's a goal and it is that we would become like Jesus. 
Please hear me. Disciple making or ministry, beloved, comes down to this. It comes down to we helping one another move closer and closer toward Jesus. That's what ministry comes down to. Everything that you are doing right now should be in your mind, and even as you recalibrate this here, for the purpose of moving people within your ministry that you serve closer and closer to Jesus, that they would become like Christ. That they would worship Him. That they would know Him. That they would serve Him. That they would love Him. That they would become like Him. This is basic and fundamental, isn't it? And yet how much we miss it. Christians come alongside of others to move one another closer to Jesus. And that, beloved, is exhilarating and freeing, isn't it? Coordination, administration, organization of events and programs and conferences or whatever is very good and necessary. But that is not the main point. It is trellis designed to support vine work, people work, people moving closer into conformity to Jesus. If they don't accomplish that, then we can make it look many different ways. Jesus wants you this morning and in 2017 by his grace and his spirit to help others grow. And he wants you to invite others into your life to help you grow. Which leads to my third question. And it is this. What does making disciples mean for me in 2017? What does it mean for me? For every single one of us sitting in here. Four things, okay? First, our mission of making disciples requires each of us, listen closely please, to ensure that we are a follower. That you yourself, that I myself am truly a disciple of Christ. Let's not assume that everybody in here is a Christian. Pastor Kimber, I thought everybody at Calvary was a Christian. What? I don't know what I've been doing here all these years then. There are churches all across America and including our own where there are many people sitting in pews such as these that are not following Jesus. And if this means anything, this great commission, it means this, that you must ensure that you are a follower of Christ, that you've been converted, that you've been born again by the blood of the Lamb. That you've turned from your sins and you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Churches are full, beloved, of nominal Christians. Christians who are just by name Christians. But they haven't been born again. They're not committed to the church. They don't love Jesus or his bride, his people. They're not committed to holiness and to obeying Christ. They want to rule their own lives. Churches are full of people like that. And yet in scripture, 2 Corinthians 13.5 calls us to test yourself. Examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Or have you failed the test? 2 Peter 1.10 Believers are instructed to be diligent to make certain about their calling and choosing. And in the context, there are qualities or virtues that should be evidence of the fact that God is working in your life. Moral excellence and patience and endurance and so forth and so forth. They are evidences of the fact that God is mightily working in and through you. Make certain about his calling and choosing of you. If making disciples means anything to us in 2017, make sure that you have turned from your life of self-idolatry and trusted in Jesus. Secondly, it means that each of us must commit to sharing the gospel with others. When was the last time that you shared your faith with somebody? You know what you and I are as believers? God could have taken us the moment that we came to know Christ from this earth. But you know what we are? We are ambassadors for Christ, right? That's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
That is our plea. The plea of the Christian who waits as a pilgrim here on this earth until the return of Jesus Christ. Our plea is be reconciled to God. There is hope for you. The King is coming. The King is coming. You must turn from your sins and put your faith in Him. Otherwise, you will experience the fullness of His wrath. We are ambassadors for Christ, beloved. Are you sharing your faith? Commit this year to to share your faith. If you struggle with confidence, bring another more seasoned believer with you. Ask for training. We have evangelistic classes here at Calvary. We have elders who would love to sit down with you and talk to you and equip you for that. And other very gifted leaders and lay people who are here who can help you. Who can pray for you and go with you. Thirdly, thirdly, and let me say this before I give three and four. I want you to know that as we've prayed and have wrestled with God's word this, this for a while, our burden, beloved, is that there would be no one left behind in the process of discipleship here at Calvary. That we would grow as a church as far as a culture of discipleship here and that everyone would be included in this. And this is significant in a twofold way. Discipleship is my following Jesus. Discipling is me helping someone else follow Jesus. That's how Mark Dever puts it. Discipleship is my following of Jesus. Discipling is me helping someone else follow Jesus. And if we are going to be a disciple-making church, both must be true in each of our lives. We must, have, we must be investing ourselves into someone else. And we must have someone else investing into us, right? So the third implication here of our mission of making disciples is this. Each of us should make it a goal this year to personally invest ourselves into someone else or others. You need to be pouring your life into somebody else. I love 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul writing to Timothy, he says, You therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, there's one baton being passed on from Paul to Timothy. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy, entrust these to faithful men. There's a second handoff to faithful men. And here's a third handoff who then will be able to teach others also. Third handoff, other faithful men. Four generations in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 of baton passing, if you will. Paul to Timothy. Timothy to faithful men. Faithful men to other faithful men. And so forth and so forth and so forth. And you can put women in there too, right? It's a task of both of us. Both genders, if you will. You and I must be diligent, beloved, to passing on pouring our lives into others. And yet if I were to ask for a show of hands this morning and ask you, name me the people or the persons that you're meeting with currently for the purpose of doing Colossians 1, 28 through 29 or 2 Timothy 2, 2 type of ministry, could you give me a name? Could you give me names? Don't talk to me about what you did five years ago. 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. What are you doing now? Are you a disciple maker now who's pouring your lives into others? According to chapter uh, 2 of Titus, older men and women are to be investing themselves into the younger, right? So I want to ask this morning, where are you older men? Where are you at? Where are you? There is a famine in the land. There is a great need for godly Husbands who are older, more seasoned, mature, to come alongside of younger husbands, fathers, single men, younger men, and help us become godly husbands and fathers and single men and servants in the church. Where are you? Where are you? Arise from your slumber. Arise and awaken from your spiritual sleep and apathy and lethargy. I charge you in 2017 to take a prayerfully, deliberately, a younger man under your wings and meet with that young man and disciple that young man. Formally or informally. 
And if you're doing it, great. Do it all the more and look for those who aren't doing it and go confront them on it. And find someone that they need a disciple. Amen? Come on now. I know these are hard things to listen to, beloved. This is the word of God. We need to obey this call, do we not? And be purposeful and deliberate. Older women, you who have raised children and have many years of marriage, experience, life experiences, who have history of both victories and defeats in your Christian walk, where are you, older godly women? Where are you? I appeal to you as a younger man, but as your pastor, older women, to take younger women under your wings and disciple them this year. One of them, multiple of them. Where are you? We need older godly women who are willing to pour their lives into other women in the church. Well, I've made mistakes, pastor. I don't think I can do this. Who am I? Listen, we've all made mistakes. We've all, we all have struggles. Nobody here is a finished product, right? We're all in process. But if you've learned from them and you've grown from them, then you should desire to impart your God-given wisdom to other women uh, here in this church. Married or single. And help them grow. Married couples. We need marriage counseling. Many young families here. Many young couples who need marriage counseling, not just because they're having issues, See, discipleship should be a culture where it's not until a couple begins to have major issues that now they get into counseling. Discipleship is a way of life. That's why I like better discipleship counseling and what that signifies. Every single married couple should be in counseling with somebody learning from an older godly couple. An older godly couple sitting in here this morning, you need to step it up. It doesn't matter if you have weaknesses. It doesn't matter if you have issues of your own. It doesn't matter if you've made mistakes. If you've repented of them and you've grown from them, take a couple under your wings. Parents, we need people to come alongside of younger parents. Some of you who are grandparents now, where are you? Where are you, some of you who are grandparents? Who are you taking under your wings to help them in raising children and pointing them to Christ? Some of these young couples need you. can say a lot more about that okay fourthly maybe you say Kempis I get you I hear you but I need this too you you understand I've never been discipled myself I've never seen in my own life what you're saying that I should do for someone else well this one should comfort you our desire is that in 2017 each of us would make it our aim with our help as well that each of you would pursue a discipleship relationship where someone else is pouring into you. Where someone else is pouring into you. And this, beloved, is going to take some initiative on your part as well. Listen, I hear a lot of people over the years talking about the fact that they have never had a discipleship relationship. Nobody's ever invested into them. And I understand, and I think some of those are very legitimate cases. But in other cases, I hear some of the people that say that, and yet they're never around in the context of the church. They never show up to anything. They skip out on worship services on Sunday mornings. They're not here to to sing songs, to hear the word read, preached, applied, taught, whatever, to fellowship with other believers. They're not around, and yet they say, well, I'm a relational guy. I just want to be around other people. Hello? Worship service is the main event of the week. Every single believer should be here. You should have a really good excuse for not being here. It is the main event of the week. It is unique in that we, together we sing the word and we read and pray the word. We preach and apply the word. We practice the word via giving and the ordinances. It's all a time of worship before the Lord in his word. You need to be here. Don't talk about discipleship and yet you skip out on worship services. Secondly, this is not enough to just simply show up to the worship service and then exit out the backside of the the sanctuary or the front or the sides. Commit this year to plugging into a fellowship group. These hubs, 
that our smaller groups on Sunday mornings for shepherding, listen, and discipleship to take place. For all other under-shepherds to keep you accountable, to love on you, to care for you, to meet your needs, and for you to connect with other believers who are there and can pray for you and can, can serve you. Commit to being a part of a fellowship group. You know what our three essentials for our fellowship groups are? Spiritual growth, deliberate discipleship, gospel mission. They're committed to helping you grow, to helping you connect with others to help you grow, and to gospel mission, encouraging you to be on mission, sharing your faith in whatever context in life you find yourself. That's, those are the fellowship group essentials of Calvary Bible Church. You need to connect to one of those. And if you are in a service ministry, which is an exception, identify yourself via email or whatever to one of those fellowship groups. If you serve in youth or student ministries or, or children's ministries or choir or whatever, you still need to identify yourself in one of those hubs for your good, beloved. For your good and for the good of your brethren. Also, personal investment. You need someone to meet with you this year? Listen, ask. Ask. You need only to ask. There's men's small groups, women's small groups. There are opportunities where there are people, individuals here in this church who have expressed to me that they want to disciple someone. And I've been able to connect them with other people. And so have our elders and others. There are individuals who need to be discipled. And we've been able to connect them to older, mature people who are able to disciple them. You need only to ask. You need only ask. See, some of us are very picky, right? You know what? The pastor needs to disciple me. Or an elder. Or a mature person who's wired like me who looks like me, who shares my views and philosophy of marriage and parenting. Well, you know what? You're going to be looking for a discipler for the rest of your life, my friend. Right? Rather, what about finding someone who, is, who has this calm devotion to the Lord, who is a person of faith, who has wisdom from years of making mistakes and repenting and victories in their own life, and who, is, who, who, who understands what it's like to pursue holiness, even at the cost of their own reputation or whatever? What about people like that, who just have this quiet faith, who may not be able to, to recite 50 verses in Greek for you, but who can teach you volumes about things that you need to learn for your own life? What about people like that? See, we're too picky, aren't we? about who can disciple us. So we want everybody being poured into, beloved. Every single person. Listen, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That's what he said. How is he building his church? He's building his church through his people, charged to make disciples through the word of God and the power of the spirit of God. That's how he builds his church. Disciple making is hard work, isn't it? It's easy to run the programs, to run the activities. It is hard work to make disciples relationally truth-based for the purpose of growing somebody into conformity to Christ and keep at it. Because investing into people takes time. It takes sacrifice. You don't always see quick results. You can't always quantify or, or verify results in the lives of people, beloved. But this is the design of Jesus for his church. His char charge is that the church would be a disciple-making church for his glory. And that's what we want to be about in 2017 as a church all the more, beloved. I hope and pray that you walk away prayerfully, purposefully and deliberately considering how this message applies to you and how you're going to apply this message to your life. Listen, do you expect me as your preacher and pastor to apply the word of God to my life? Yes or no? You don't want me studying the Bible and then coming in and preaching all these things to you and applying none of it, right? You want me to apply the word of God and you recognize that I'm going to fail a lot but you still want me to commit in the power of the Spirit to apply in the Word? Listen, I have the same expectation of every single one of you. That you be obedient to the Word of God. And who cares about each other's expectations at the end of the day, right? 
What matters most? That we obey the exalted Christ, the Lord of the church, the head of the church, the one who has all authority and has charged us to make disciples. Amen? Let me pray for us and we'll close. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, thank you for your precious word that is so clear. We are the ones that make ministry so complicated because of our sin, because of our selfishness, because of our just sense of distraction, because of our weakness, Lord. Many times not even purposefully wanting to rebel against you in a particular area, but oftentimes we're just self-deceived and we're distracted and we lose sight of things. Father, forgive us. Help us as we walk away to be people who are doers of your word and not merely hearers who are self-deceived. Help us to apply these truths. Help us, Lord, lead us to divine appointments this year both for evangelism and for edification in the lives of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to be humble and to be willing to ask others to invest into us, to not be arrogant or proud or picky about who can invest into us. We ask all of these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.